0: Well, welcome to this evening's Ask Europe, Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johanna Sun-Murray.
0: Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, we have call-in from 7.30 until uh, till 8 o'clock. And uh, once again, we have our very special guest speaker uh, who's full of information about current events as well as historically accurate, important past events. So that brings it into context for all of us. Hey, you're listening to... KMUD Garbaville, 91.1 FM, and from six, uh, 7.30 sorry, until the end of the show, like I said, we'll ask in callers, uh, call in with any questions, either related or related to this month's loose topic on stress, uh, GABA systems different herbs that can combat stress in different ways, uh, mitochondrial support, Uh, and Dr. Pete will be bringing his wisdom and his expertise in terms of mitochondrial activity and how that uh, all plays in with the uh, hormones and other substances like uh, thyroid, uh, progesterone, pregnenolone, etc., that all support the anti-inflammatory uh, cascade, as it were, that battles the inflammation that most people just constantly under attack with. Um, we are going through a pledge drive uh, this evening, so uh, sorry for those people who perhaps uh, waited, uh, thinking it was starting at 7, it's just started just now. So it's all good. So without this radio show, this kind of program uh, would not be on the air. So um, those people that are listening, uh, there is a pledge drive going on. It's a basically a supported... Uh, network of people, volunteers, and donors that keep this radio station independent and make just this kind of show possible because uh, you're not going to hear too much of what we say and too much of what other people have to say in their various programmings from regular broadcasts. It's uh, not controlled mainstream media, folks. It's the alternative. So uh, please support it wherever and however you can. Uh, So like I said, this evening, Dr. Raymond Peach joining us and hopefully he's with us on The VIP line, are you there, Dr. Pete? Yes, hi. Thanks so much for joining us uh, again and sharing your wisdom and giving your time as freely as you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, As usual, I think it's always very good to just outline your professional and academic background so people who perhaps have never listened to the show or heard you even before uh, can hear your background. And uh, I know when they hear you speak, they know you know what you're talking about. But if you can just say uh, a little bit about your background and your past, that would be great to uh, illuminate.
2: Okay, uh, after oh, 10 or 15 years of working in uh, language and literature, I have uh, shifted over to biology and uh, especially aging and uh, metabolism reproduction, I, studying at the University of Oregon 1968 to 72 for a biology PhD
0: okay so uh, i know we've heard a lot about you in the past in terms of uh, thyroid your specialty with thyroid hormone uh, physiology explaining the uh, mechanisms by which uh, you have come to see thyroid's uh, activity within the body as well as uh, like you mentioned progesterone and pregnenolone and the aging uh, that is one of your specialties so um, in terms of um what we're going to get into this evening, with uh, a loose connection to the t- topic of mitochondria uh, and their their job in the body, what they do, how they uh, operate, what things uh, decrease their activity, and how they are slowly deactivated, and the substances that deactivate them over time with aging. Uh, I think. Can I just start with um, GABA? There's a, a compound called GABA, a inhibitory neurotransmitter, and I know there's some herbs that I'd like to link that to uh, as we get on uh, with this discussion about things that stimulate the nervous system, things that help it to relax and and what that relaxation is as opposed to the excitotoxic effect of uh, stress. So in terms of GABA... Um what do you want underst- what do you want to say Sarah?
1: Well I just wanted to ask Dr. Pete if you can explain simply what the mitochondria is in the cell and the pow- it's I've been told it's the powerhouse of the cell. And can you please explain that to our listeners in case people might not know what mitochondria is?
2: Um I, that's a good enough definition I think but uh, the um there's a very stereotyped textbooky definition of it that it consists of a certain kind of membrane uh, and uh, special enzymes and some DNA separate from the n- nucleus. Uh, and it uh, handles uh, various functions other than energy production, but uh, steroid synthesis is one of its very important functions. It converts cholesterol to uh, uh, pregnenolone, progesterone, and, uh, and those turn into. Uh, all of the steroid hormones
1: so is that why people when they age their cholesterol goes up because their mitochondria isn't as efficient in converting the uh, cholesterol yeah. into those hormones
2: yeah and uh, thyroid is the main hormone that activates uh, the oxidative metabolism of the thyroid, of the of mitochondrion and so if your thyroid is low uh, the mitochondria don't pull in the Uh, cholesterol, and uh, turn it to uh, pregnenolone. And uh, uh, the uh, other cofactor uh, working with thyroid happens to be vitamin A. And uh, that uh, protein in the blood carries thyroid and vitamin A on a single protein and delivers it to the mitochondria over there, like a factory with a a conveyor belt bringing in the raw materials and the Catalysts.
1: And that's how they make the hormones because the cholesterol plus the vitamin A makes progesterone. And
2: uh, Yeah, the, the vitamin A is involved in steroid uh, formation in in um, not only the, the gonads and the adrenals, but also in the brain and the skin. Uh, the, the skin and the brain are major steroid endocrine glands.
1: So every cell in our body has a mitochondria and does its job in that particular part of the body. But if you don't have um, adequate thyroid, then you won't be getting adequate oxygen into that mitochondria and basic energy production of that cell and function, cellular Uh, function, will be decreased.
2: Yeah, red blood cells don't have mitochondria. Uh, they, They depend on sugar for their energy, glucose.
0: Okay, uh, just quickly getting onto, uh, I just called on what you said. I know in the past, uh, you've all mentioned it, and I think pe- people who perhaps have just, uh, have heard you speak and have listened to you, uh, would begin to understand that the, the physiological explanations of membranes is pretty flawed. Um, when okay, I was studying, go ahead.
2: That includes the uh, the textbook definition of what a <laughs> mitochondrion is and how it works. They, uh-huh. they use a membrane and what they call the chemiosmotic hypothesis. Okay. Uh, and the membrane has to have certain kind of metaphysical physical properties. And uh, if, if you look at a real cell oxidizing, uh, it turns out that the outer surface of the cell has... Uh, mitochondrial like properties uh, the, um, the same enzyme reactions uh, using oxygen and consuming electrons happens right at the surface of the cell as well as in the mitochondrion
0: so the whole the whole uh, the whole supposition that the membrane uh, is a cohesive barrier and it's not fluid it's not dynamic it's very much a skin which is the way I always understood, was told to understand uh, membranes. And with,
1: and with channels. And,
0: and with channels and pumps and all the rest of And what of it.
1: about all the organelles? Is that completely uh,
2: well, bogus uh, as well? They are suspected to be artifacts of fixation largely, but uh, <laughs> things are differentiated. But uh, when you kill them and uh, take out the water and harden them and slice them, Uh, things don't look the way they did when when they were alive.
1: So is there no way they can look at the cell while it's alive?
2: Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, People have done uh, an atlas of the brain, for example, uh, slicing the brain and freezing it and making pictures and then doing the standard fixation where you get a nice sharp image. Uh, They're... Eyes is tremendously different, and the internal structure, of course, is different too.
1: Well, don't the fixatives change the structure yeah. as yeah. well, though?
2: Uh, yeah. The, the, Harold Hillman is probably the person most famous for challenging uh, conventional biology, saying that everything is an artifact of fixation.
1: What about the live microscopy?
2: Um, yeah, where you use. Um, uh, fluorescent stain, for example, um, you can see very amazing things—things uh, things swirling around and uh, doing things that uh, are fairly parallel to to the theoretical descriptions. But sometimes the uh, the structures uh, seem to be more like a, a whirlwind than an organelle. Um, in the 1940s, when radioactive isotopes became available, the whole idea of the barrier membrane was eliminated. Uh, uh, Gilbert Ling reviews the history of that, but uh, there, there is no barrier to sodium, for example. It just zips in and out of the
0: cell. Because well, I was always taught about the sodium-potassium ATPase, which needed a molecule of ATP to pump in and pump out a molecule of uh, sodium and potassium in in return.
2: Yeah, but um, if you take a a hair which is perfectly dead Mm -hmm. and wash out the minerals and then dip it in uh, blood serum or plasma, you get uh, the same unequal distribution of of the minerals, potassium inside and sodium outside. And it's exactly the same uh, principle as a, a water softener, you charge it with sodium and then it removes uh, calcium from the the hard water Mm. Uh, uh, a man named Mice (laughs) Seltz wrote a book on uh, uh, things including the physics of water softeners and he uh, recognized Gilbert Ling's work in biology as the best explanation for how a water softener works the physics was so good in describing cells that uh, even physicists recognized that it worked for something as, as common as a water softener. But, but it, biologists just don't like that uh, way of looking at cells. It, it, it tends to leave out a lot of their favorite uh, beliefs about genes and so on.
0: Is that where the uh, word my cell was coined from? No. No. Just okay. <laughs> Just okay. okay. All right. You're listening to our Ask Your Herb Doctor, K. Mudie 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7 30 to the end of the, sh- end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with questions related or unrelated to this month's topic of mitochondria energy production. And uh, we're going to cover things like valerian and rhodiola, uh, schizandra, and ginseng as uh, typical herbs that have plenty of scientific data and pharmacological data uh, to support their effects in supporting mitochondria and in energy production and mediating the negative effects of stress a number if you live in the area is 923-3911 if you're outside the area there's a toll-free number which is 1-800-KMUD-RAD and those people listening to us on the web uh, that toll-free number is a good number to call Uh, if you have any questions either related or unrelated and Dr. Pete is joining us again this month uh, we are going through a pledge drive, folks. Uh, those people who perhaps have just tuned in, uh, KMUD Galbable 91.1, uh, conducting one of our several pledge drives that go on through the year to raise finances to keep this great show on the air uh, and to keep other shows on the air, not just this one. I didn't mean great, this great show, but great shows on this the air. This great
1: station. Yeah,
0: this great station uh, that actually brings out a lot of very alternative uh, information to people that's not mainstream. Uh, you probably won't find this kind of stuff too many other places so keep it alive because it's rapidly disappearing in this country okay so dr pete you mentioned that there was a single protein uh which carries vitamin a and cholesterol um if you know the name of the protein great but otherwise do you know if there's anything that would be supportive to that protein that seems like a fairly key yeah, uh, intermediary in that uh, process. It's
2: it's the low density lipoprotein that de- delivers uh, cholesterol, and then albumin or transthyretin, which uh, transports the thyroid and vitamin A. So
1: which is why it'd be so dangerous to have a low LDL, which is what
2: yeah, it, most it, doctors it, call
1: the bad cholesterol. Which is it's m-
2: a good one because it brings us stuff to make progesterone right. out of.
0: Okay, good. So, people, did you get that? Uh, Once again, it's just another call to arms, as it were, that cholesterol is not the enemy. Um, so the LDL cholesterol, which is always coined as the bad cholesterol, is actually the cholesterol that chaperones these very important molecules uh, to enable things like steroid synthesis to occur. So without cholesterol, uh, you'd be in bad shape. Uh, another fact, I think, I just uh, I coined I heard this coined uh, not too long ago, was that the brain's white matter is 95% cholesterol. Uh, so if cholesterol is not important, then why is the brain... 95% cholesterol. So, Well, that's uh, why
1: they did that study in older people
0: right.
1: who had low cholesterol were much more prone to dementia.
0: Mm-hmm. And, Dr. Peek, just to uh, let people know again, you always advocate a cholesterol should be between 180 and 200. That's quite healthy, and also after 50 years of age, you should be slightly o- over 200.
2: Yeah, according to the Framingham study, people over 50 who weren't above uh, 200 in their uh, cholesterol
0: We're more likely to have dementia. Yeah. Okay. All right, so let's move on to um, some of those things uh, that have been written about and recorded and pharmacology has been provided and scientific background has been explained uh, for the action of, but I know that you probably have some other ways of tying in what perhaps we were taught when we were studying how these things work. So perhaps valerian root is one of those um, herbs that a lot of people would have uh, used Uh, would have heard about um, and have tried and uh, certainly would have gotten benefits uh, for either insomnia or anxiety as a mild sedative and I was always told that its main attribute was that it uh, provided GABA and prevented the breakdown so the valerianic acid was actually responsible for inhibiting the breakdown of GABA as well. Um, what do you what do you know about GABA as a neurotransmitter, and and how do you feel about valerian's use being warranted given what I've said?
2: Um, I, I think uh, valerian also increases the uh, activity of the enzyme that converts the excitatory glutamic acid into uh, the inhibitory GABA, so it does just about everything needed to uh, protect the brain, uh, increasing GABA and the effect of GABA. Uh, and uh, GABA is uh, the uh, system called the GABA receptor is probably the, the most uh, complex bunch of proteins that has the name uh, uh, receptor. Uh, many uh, different things affected in different ways. Uh, valerian or, or uh, valium, the, the specific molecule. Uh, apparently binds to it in a way similar to uh, GABA and in a slightly different way than uh, progesterone, pregnenolone, and uh, probably the androgens of some types. Um, And even carbon dioxide probably is involved in binding in some way uh, near this so-called receptor. Uh, stabilizing a whole system of, of proteins uh, to uh, turn off the excitatory process in the cell.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a very excitation. I think when people hear the word, uh, we need to uh, support its uh, its definition. Excitatory is a very wasteful uh, situation or state to be in, isn't it? When in terms of the cell being excited. Uh, I think for very short-term activity, that's not a problem, but the excitation in general when it's longer term is actually very detrimental to the cell?
2: Um, Yeah, that's what causes brain fatigue if you stay awake too long. And if you don't have a good supply of glucose producing carbon dioxide, for example, um, you more quickly get into the fatigued state. Um, The the, um, glucose... One of its functions is actually to substantially uh, contribute to the formation of of, uh, GABA. Uh, The part of glucose molecule uh, is involved in the synthesis, but also the carbon dioxide stabilizes it. And uh, when glutamic acid is converted into GABA, it also releases carbon dioxide that helps with the inhibitory process. Um, So oxidative metabolism in the brain is doing uh, many things, uh, producing GABA and uh, progesterone, pregnenolone, uh, carbon dioxide, and uh, keeping down the excitatory things, lactic acid, nitric oxide, and uh, uh, glutamic acid, pneumonia, for example.
1: Well, it's estimated that 10% of people respond to valerian in the opposite way that you would want them to and they actually get excited from taking valerian almost like cats do when they get around it can you possibly explain why that might be happening
2: um no not at all
0: <laughs> yeah because there are some people that definitely uh, give feedback of oh it woke me up it didn't help me sleep and relax actually it had the opposite effect yeah it stimulated
1: but, uh, me i just it made me feel jittery
0: Anyway, okay. all right, it's not a big deal. Okay, so um, I wanted also to bring out that uh, St. John's wort as another um, herb uh, that's posited to be a reuptake inhibitor of GABA, uh, and that compound was uh, shown to be hyperforin, which was one of the actives that are sometimes uh, standardized uh, in terms of making a standardized extract of St. John's. And then uh, I also uh, found some evidence here to show that lemon balm uh, was shown to be uh, a GABA transaminase inhibitor. So that is, it blocks the enzyme GABA transaminase, which converts GABA to a compound called succinic semi-aldehyde, semialdehyde and glutamate. So all of these reactions are reversible um, for very obvious reasons, and the body obviously has a very fine, uh, fine tune in order to keep this whole homeostasis running properly and preventing over-excitation and... Um, over-restfulness, somnambulance almost in some in some ways. Uh, I did read the article on um, mitochondrial disease. Uh, there's a known syndrome of it, and uh, one of its main uh, downsides, obviously it's, it's a complete downside having a syndrome, but one of the main downsides is uh, the, the kind of somnambulance that you get with it with people just uh, either getting seizures and just being completely... Uh, unable to perform in in terms of keeping that balance between the gabaergic side of keeping things stable and calm um are we even to think of that as being the optimum state and that actually it's like thyroid where thyroid itself is not at all a uh, stimulant it actually helps you relax helps the cell uh repolarize and re-energize its uh, its resting potential
2: um, I call that the high-energy resting state in which uh, the cells all through the body, especially in the brain, have so much energy that they're ready to do anything. But uh, it, when you get very fatigued, uh, they lack the energy needed to replenish that work-ready work, work ready condition. And so they are in sort of a high sensitive, uh, agitated condition. Uh, Their uh, voltage, uh, so-called resting voltage, uh, goes very low and they stay in a a more or less constantly excited but uh, unable to work condition. And uh, uh, magnesium is one of the things that helps to restore the relaxed state. Uh, Thyroid helps you to retain magnesium. Magnesium stabilizes the high-energy ATP molecule. And uh, without thyroid, you can't make that uh, very quickly. And uh, so if you have adequate uh, thyroid-producing oxidative energy and producing ATP, that causes the cell to retain magnesium. And that complex of things holds the cell in a ready-to-work state uh, with lots of reserve energy. Uh, simply a, a magnesium deficiency will cause uh, seizures, uh, uh, insomnia, inflammation, uh, everything that a lack of energy leads to.
0: So um, do you think then it's, uh, it's more it's very important to, and I'm saying this because I understand this is the way, but just for our listeners, um, to have small amounts of sugars foods regularly so that your body's energy supply is constantly stocked rather than going you know four six hours or more without food and then having you know a loaded meal in in, in terms of keeping mitochondria as happy as possible uh, rather than allowing them to get depleted to a point where um they're no longer really able to bounce back or um you know for you to be able to pick up again relatively quickly.
2: And the B vitamins are essential for using oxygen efficiently in the mitochondria. Okay. Uh, Vitamin B1, biotin B2.
0: Okay. All right. Um, so what about melatonin? Let's move on to melatonin as a substance that um, I've read quite a few articles, some of which have been very disturbing, <laughs> I must admit. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But I know most of the advertising for melatonin is very pro-sleeping, pro-relaxing. You know, they don't say anything dangerous about it. Um, you know, it's naturally produced. It is found in different, you know, different uh, products from foods, um, liquids and Food stuffs, so it's a fairly ubiquitous uh, chemical. Um, It obviously has a very specific function. Um, It really does work physiologically, and it's very important. But uh, what's what's your uh, impression of melatonin in terms of its use and um, whether or not you're um, you feel comfortable around it? Well, uh,
2: I think the, the good side of it is that in the fatigued state of the brain, the excitatory de-energized condition, nitric oxide rises and starts a vicious circle in which it activates acetylcholine, which activates uh, nitric oxide synthesis, and uh, it rises and can keep you awake. And melatonin is effective at turning off that cycle. So uh, when your brain is in a bad, fatigue state, uh, melatonin can... Uh, protected by getting down the nitric oxide and excitation.
1: But wouldn't that be like in a small dose, or is it uh, it different for every
2: patient? Yeah, one publication refers to the physiological dose, uh, which would be equivalent in an average-sized adult to 5 micrograms per body, uh, uh, an ultra-small Amount would uh, uh, replenish your whole body. Others have measured it uh, as up to maybe two or three milligrams in the whole body as a physiological concentration. So when a person takes 10 milligrams, for sure it will put them to sleep, but it, it probably is doing lots of other things. And in the antioxidant experiments or the radiation protection experiments, they've used something like a thousand or maybe a million times the concentration that exists physiologically. Uh, So it can do amazing things like protect you against gamma rays, but uh, if you do that more than during or shortly after the exposure, the the outcome might might have unexpected consequences. Mm -hmm. It was only in the uh, later in 1990s, when uh, the material became very cheap and widely sold, that all of this amazing stuff about uh, being a oh, anti-cancer, anti-stress, anti-inflammatory, tissue protecting against everything, all of these studies came out by the thousands. But uh, when I was uh, in graduate school, uh, it wasn't. Even certain that melatonin was the the main pineal hormone. Uh, And what was known was that uh, the pineal extract had very specific effects that imitated nighttime and winter. And in the winter, all animals from fish, turtles, lizards, uh, uh, rats, uh, sheep and so on, everyone's uh, reproductive system shrinks away during the winter. Some uh, some species uh, can uh, manage to reproduce in the winter, but in general it's, it's a principle that not only the gonads regress, but the thymus gland regresses in all of these different types of animals. And uh, the thymus uh, Atravir involution during the winter uh, strongly affects the way the immune system works, and that's part of why uh, people are more susceptible to infections during the winter. Okay. And uh, this involution of both the reproductive gland and the uh, immune thymus gland, uh, this has a uh, lots of behavioral consequences. Uh, Everyone knows about the uh, seasonal affective disorder or winter sickness, uh, in which depression and weight gain become so common uh, during the winter long nights. And uh, uh, melatonin is the main thing that uh, causes involution of the thymus gland and gonads, uh, the original studies were done with extracts of the pineal gland, but uh, you get effectively the same thing just with melatonin.
1: So what about different parts in the wor- of the world? You know, like if someone was in Hawaii.
2: Um, yeah, the seasonal changes don't exist near the equator. <laughs>
1: so they're thymus and...
2: Uh, yeah, you don't have the winter sickness or winter immune disturbance.
0: Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor KMUD Galveston 91.1 FM. Uh, from now to eight o'clock, uh, callers are invited to call in with questions either related uh, to what we've been talking about so far, from GABA to melatonin uh, to the various mitochondrial uh, issues. Uh, number here is three nine one, sorry nine two three three nine one one or one eight hundred KMUD Rad. That's one eight hundred five six eight three seven two three. Okay, Dr. P, I had uh, some articles that I was reading this afternoon whilst uh, putting this together to see if this was uh, going to be something that we were going to be supporting or helping people uh, discourage the use of because I know melatonin's used along with serotonin is very popular um, but uh, not always a good thing. I did read the uh, s- papers and, again, there was conflicting information on PubMed. Um, some of the information was saying, for example, that uh, melatonin suppresses tumor aerobic metabolism which is the kind of Warburg effect that Otto Warburg described uh, and some, some of them said that melatonin was actually pro-cancerous uh, how, do you, how do you see that?
2: Uh, some of that varies with the variety of mouse that they're using for example um, in some studies they've implanted an extra pineal gland or used uh, melatonin sometimes it Uh, decreases tumors sometimes it increases them um uh, the um uh, effect on the immune system partly depends on the dose and uh, when you're using a thousand fold variation in doses uh, that's the first thing you have to think of uh, what's what's actually happening physiologically in in the normal range and uh a lot of studies are getting anti-inflammatory and uh, antioxidant effects, but uh, at, at least two groups—one in China and one in Denver—are seeing very clear pro-inflammatory mm. effects from uh, physiological amounts of mm. uh, melatonin.
0: There you go. Okay, so
1: yeah, it doesn't—it it doesn't seem like you'd want to be taking something that triggers the winter time response.
2: Uh, that, that's what I've always thought. Uh, in in our hamster lab, uh, we noticed that even though the, the lab was supposedly well-insulated and temperature-controlled and had a 12-hour light and dark cycle, the hamsters during the winter had essentially no thymus gland. and uh, That w- was one of the things that started me thinking about the potential risk of of the uh, uh, changing your whole endocrine system uh, by uh, supplementing something
0: like that ok we have a caller uh, on the air so let's take this uh, first caller here see caller where are you from, you're on the air you're on the air I think your engineer's is uh, waving around, I'm not too sure what's going on <laughs> we have a caller on the air though But uh, go ahead yeah, I think... Caller, caller, you're on. You can speak up. Okay, so someone needs to uh, find out how to get that going, because we do have a caller, but uh, they're not coming through at the moment, so... Okay, well, let's, uh, until we get this caller back, uh, let, let's just uh, ask you about the, I think you did mention this early on, but just to reiterate, um, again, I had read some information about um, melatonin potentially he- helping in uh, radiation oncology treatments where people get uh, radiotherapy um, what do you what do you think about that in terms of uh, its negative effects that we've heard about? Actually, let's hold it there before we uh, go any further. Let's take this caller whilst they're on the air. Let's take them, Where are you from, caller? Okay, we're getting messed around here. Might be something to do with the pledge drive and all the calls coming in to pour money into the stu- into the into the studio to keep us going. Okay, so Dr. Pete what do you think about the use of melatonin in radio uh, in oncology and radiotherapy, perhaps? Um.
2: If you're uh, bound to have the radiation, uh, I think that the uh, very large doses of uh, melatonin are uh, probably uh, very protective against uh, that damaging effect. uh, The the trouble with using it for treating tumors is that uh, you can kill off all of the, the actual bulk cells of the tumor, which are really defective and weak cancer cells that are uh, in, in the, the normal tumor. They're being replaced very quickly. And when you kill them off, you irritate the region where the tumor was and stimulate <laughs> that region's ability to recruit new repair cells. And those cells zoom into the irradiated area and uh, recreate the tumor. Mm. because you haven't cured the organism's problem.
0: Yeah, Because it is a very potent, you know, just that's the last word on melatonin, the only reason I was asking uh, for its use in radiotherapy was that it's potently antioxidant. Um, and like you said, you know, it, it potentially for what it is and what it's capable of structurally, it's very good at mopping up free radical damage uh, causing uh, compounds. So I think that was some of the reason for uh, the, uh, the research that was done on it okay well let's move on to uh, i've got a few other things i wanted to ask you about and i know you know as usual (laughs) you know you know plenty about it uh i didn't even know that you had looked at it but you i know i'd spoken to you a while back here and uh, you'd mentioned uh what you had known so rhodiola rosea um is a uh, a crassula so that kind of uh uh fleshy thick fleshy uh leaved succulent uh, type of plant um, I didn't realize that it's actually been used for about three and a half thousand years um, it was uh, first mentioned 13th century BC uh, and in the uh, Greek Bronze Age and then there was documentation plenty of documentation about the Vikings uh, using it to enhance physical strength and endurance and then obviously lots of Chinese uh, data about the emperor sending expeditions to, Ty- to Siberia to bring back this golden root which is its common name uh, for medical uh, preparations and then the uh, I know we talked about adaptogens in the past but this is another one of those kind of golden adaptogens Uh, was uh, discovered in 47 the term adaptogen by the Russian scientist Nikolai Lazarev uh, who coined that fact and then um, Dr. Lazarev was also a mentor of Dr. Breckman uh, who conducted extensive research on adaptogenic herbs. So rhodiola rosea, in terms of it being an adaptogen, uh, being a um, physical uh, enhancement, a cognitive enhancer, anti-cancer, do you do you, uh, know much about r- rhodiola and perhaps how you'd see that being supportive in terms of uh, mitochondrial uh, protection or anti-stress?
2: Um, yeah, i i happened to be uh, uh, studying the uh, progesterone family of, of steroids around the same time i was running into ginseng and rhodiola research and um uh, Selye had the the concept of catatoxic steroids he called them catatoxic uh, catatoxic oh, they wow. they destroy <laughs> the, the toxin effect okay and uh, it isn't exactly the same as detoxifying, but they, they protect the organism by uh, blocking the, the effect of a toxin. and uh, I think that's one of the effects of the uh, adaptogens. Uh, they have some steroids that are uh, analogous to progesterone and testosterone in, in uh, that catatoxic or, or uh, stress-blocking effect. and. Uh, the uh, A Russian heart researcher, Felix Mayerson, uh, was uh, continuing uh, Hans Selye's concept of stress and adapting to stress and uh, applying it on the mitochondrial level, which uh, Hans Selye never really focused very much on. But uh, Mayerson's idea was that we have many layers of stress-limiting uh, signals and hormones and, and processes. And uh, the um, it happens that uh, the steroids uh, are, are one major uh, stress-limiting uh, uh, system where cortisol and serotonin and nitric oxide and estrogen activate the short-term stress reactions that, can stimulate a brief defense. Uh, if those continue, they destroy the organism. So you need a stress-ending process. And uh, that's where the, the progesterone, uh, testosterone, pregnenolone come in and things that turn off the nitric oxide and serotonin and estrogen. And uh, it happens that these plants not only have the steroid level of uh, stress-limiting factors uh, with many uh, other types of substances. The the polyphenols and flavonoids, for example, Mm. uh, specifically turn off nitric oxide production and uh, limit the the, uh, excitatory uh, serotonin pathway, for example, which turns on cortisol.
1: I want to ask you about that in relation to red compounds too, but we do have a caller on the air.
0: Let's try again. Caller, you're on the air where are you from third time lucky?
1: San Francisco, California.
0: San Francisco, California. Welcome to the show. What's your uh, what's your question for Doctor Pete?
1: Hi, Doctor Pete. I wanted to know what causes tooth decay and how do you reverse it?
2: What causes what? Tooth decay. Tooth decay? Oh. Um, I, I think it's uh stress related. Um uh, there is one type of cavity <clears throat> uh, that uh, starts with a, a dark area rather than. Or just, I, th- I think the, the stress one starts with a white area rather than the usual dark area and uh, comes on very fast with uh, uh, the mobilization of calcium from the uh, dentine under the influence of stress. Uh, Another kind is related to stress starting from the outside with the mobilization of uh, uh, calcium because of imbalances and uh, pro-inflammatory factors in the saliva. So uh, the basic thing is to keep your energy up and uh, stress low uh, so that you don't... uh, have uh, either uh, harmful saliva or uh, an internal uh, anti-calcium uh, system. And um, vitamin D and vitamin K are very important for uh, putting calcium into the, keeping it in the heart tissue. Serotonin uh, in the last three or four years <clears throat> has been found to be a, a major calcium disruptor in, in the bones and teeth as well uh, so it, it's really a, a matter of your total systemic health uh, more than a, just what happens in your mouth
1: well thank you very much
0: thank you for your call, a caller caller Okay, well, uh, I guess we have time. If it's uh, eight minutes to eight, let's just see. We'll let people know anyway. Otherwise, we'll carry on here for the next eight minutes. But uh, if you're in the area, the number's nine two three three nine one one. Or if you're outside the area, there's a toll-free number, 1-800-KMUDRAD or 1-800-568-3723. So we've got about five minutes or so before we need to wrap up. Um,
1: so, Dr. Pete, I wanted to ask you about hyperison you know, the red oil from St. John's wort that you can make. I remember you saying something to me about red compounds are very um, antioxidant and protective.
2: Um, yeah, that is a big polycyclic molecule. Uh, that The reason it's red <clears throat> is that it is uh, the electrons resonate and absorb a lot of uh, light, uh, and that makes it analogous to the uh, molecules such as in cascara, emodin or in aloe, mm. and in uh, the tetracycline antibiotics, and uh, the tricyclic antidepressants, anti-serotonin, anti-histamine agents.
0: How about pau uh, that's a very dark root, and uh, catuaba bark was, uh... Uh, Yeah,
2: uh, exactly that same yeah. type of, yeah. of uh, polycyclic uh, molecule. I think it's analogous the stabilizing um, multi-ring steroid molecules, Uh, they have a a kind of geometric stabilizing action on the the microstructure of the cell, uh, as well as the electronic withdrawing effect. Uh, When a cell is is, uh, stressed and its voltage goes down, the local electrons, uh, in effect, are uh, concentrated they become uh, very active and and reduce or attack uh, uh, molecules that they shouldn't be acting on. Uh, when you don't have enough oxygen, you get loose electrons that uh, cause mischief all, all through the
0: cell.
1: That's what we term free radical reaction?
2: Uh, yeah.
0: Okay, now ubiquinone is another one of those uh, structural molecules uh, similar to the structures that are formed by the compounds that give those dark red pigments. Uh, Ubiquinone, and then I was going to ask you about BioPQQ, which seems to be the latest latest kid on the block in terms of the uh, most potent antioxidant and uh, mitochondrial stimulator, uh, going. It's uh, a, a kind of uh, another form of ubiquinone.
2: Um, yeah, I'm not sure uh, <laughs> how important it is to have the most potent <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> antioxidant. Well, uh,
0: in, mar- in marketing, it's very important, <laughs> but that.
2: <laughs> yeah, the uh, vitamin K happens to stabilize ubiquinone. Okay. And uh, uh, all of these things work in a system. So when you're uh, using vitamin C, it is in an oxidized form that uh, keeps vitamin E in the right condition, and these and progesterone keep ubiquinone and vitamin K in the right system. It, it's a, a much uh, more organized system on the small molecule level than the, than the big molecule people usually recognize.
0: Okay. All right, so B vitamins are very quickly here. Um, in terms of mitochondria, I, n- I know you've met, we've mentioned here CoQ enzyme 10 U-biquinone, uh, and uh, BioPQQ if people want to take a look at that and whatever research. So well,
1: doesn't CoQ10 stabilize the vitamin K?
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: They, they work together yeah. you know, with the mitochondria.
0: So the B vitamins are also very important in terms of electronic stability.
2: Uh, yeah, keeping the cell pretty free of, of um, lactate because lactate represents the shift towards loose electrons that get in trouble.
0: Right. Okay. And then um, we've got...
1: Buffalo bu- liver pate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: buffalo. Or your B vitamins. Mm. We do like buffalo liver pate, by the way. Uh, and then the antioxidants, obviously, things like vitamin C and vitamin E. we uh, have already mentioned those in plenty of different instances where they're important. Well, Dr. Pete, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know we didn't get, we got one caller. I think it probably, uh, I'm not too sure why. Sometimes there's lots, sometimes there's not many. But anyway, uh, I know the show's going to get listened to uh, on the web and on the audio archives, and I know lots of people call me later. I get several weeks or months even people telling me how they listen to this and that show. So it's uh, recorded there for future history as long as our species exists, put it that way. So thanks so much for your time, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank
1: you. Thank you, good night.
0: Okay, so for those people who have uh, found the show this evening for the first time, Dr. Raymond Pete um, has got a wealth of information on his website. That is www.raypete.com plenty of scholarly articles fully referenced uh he's always writing articles so usually every month he produces a newsletter i'm not too sure how subscription to that's going i think at one point he stopped it because it was getting out of control but i'm not too uh people should definitely ask him if he's still if it's still available Though don't take my word for it i think things may have may have improved a little bit i know he's a very busy person so just
1: check just check his website
0: yeah just check his website okay and we can also be reached uh toll free one 888 uh, WBMR <clears throat> Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And um, my name is Andrew Murray until the third, of, uh, third Friday of next month. Uh, have a good night.
1: My name is Sarah Johannesson Murray, and good night. And before, I want to make sure that we gave Ray Pete's email, I mean, website, <laughs> www.raypeat.com. And our website is www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com. All right. Thank you for listening. You
0: have a good night.